0: Hi, I'm Andrea Tollison, an anti-diet intermittent fasting coach, and this is the Intuitively Intermittent Podcast. My mission is to provide women who want the health benefits of intermittent fasting with the community, resources, and coaching they need to not feel stuck on yet another diet. This podcast is one of those resources. Please be sure to seek out medical advice from a doctor or healthcare provider, as this podcast is intended for educational purposes only. Thank you for being here. Now, let's dive in. Hi everyone, Andrea here, and I am excited to be chatting with Elizabeth Hall. She is an intuitive eating body image life coach, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Hello Elizabeth. Hey Andrea, how are you? I'm doing all right. Still working on my coffee this morning, so if I sound a little groggy, <laughs> it's all right. Um, I, I get it. <laughs> um so I I was trying to think about how I initially came to find you and your work, and I think it was around some of the the stuff I've done on my my dieting history and i we're not going to spend any time talking about that, but I think I found you initially because of something that you had written, and I signed up for your email list, and then you know we're in the middle of the covid nineteen pandemic stuff and um you had written one of your email newsletters and it really resonated with me. And I had reached out to you um, thinking that there would be some potential conversations that we could have that would benefit my listeners uh, and just to, you know, sort of establish a connection with you. Um, And then I was really happy to, you know, that you responded because, um, you know, combining intuitive eating and intermittent fasting is not something that you hear about very often. (laughs) That's
1: very true.
0: Yes. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I guess, you know, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started in your work, and we'll just see where the conversation goes from there.
1: Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, like many people who come to Intuitive Eating, I came to it because of my own dieting history where I spent about 30 years as what I would call a chronic dieter. Um, first diet started at 12 um, and just sort of spent the rest of my life restricting, thinking about food, measuring food, weighing myself, um, sort of all the classic hallmarks of diet culture and um, chronic dieting. And I never thought there was anything, um, wrong with it. I thought it was normal. Seemed like everybody else talked about that. Um, it wasn't until I got older, uh, that I realized how stressful it was, um, and how much it was limiting me. Um, and that's when I started to look into different ways of thinking, which kind of started with, um, you know, looking at the emotional components of food. And that eventually led me to intuitive eating, which is, you know, um, rang true with me quite a bit. And I got really excited about it. And I sort of hopped on that path and have been going down that route ever since. Um,
0: I'm curious, you said it was limiting you, the the dieting. Um, and I'm, can you touch on that a little bit? I'm, I'm, I'd like to hear a little bit more about what that, Like, how sure. was it limiting you?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because when all of your attention is focused on thinking about food, preparing food, shopping for food, measuring food, weighing yourself, you know, what you like about your body, what you don't like about your body, it's exhausting. And it literally takes up all of your mental energy, your emotional energy, your physical energy, your spiritual energy, and you have very little room for anything else. And I just didn't realize that. I didn't realize how much time I was spending thinking about those things, judging myself, judging other people. Um, and, you know, that was kind of why intuitive eating was so freeing, because it was just such a different mindset that gave me permission to sort of let all of that go and really start to explore the concept of what works for me. Um and And, yeah, and that's when a lot more energy came back into life because um, it's a lot more fun to to explore that than to restrict your food,
0: <laughs> yeah so you so you pursued intuitive eating first, and I know when we spoke briefly uh, a week or so ago to figure out if this was a good idea, you also mentioned a few other things that you have pursued, um like some other um I don't know some other. Yeah. Topics. Like, yeah. How did you get into those? Maybe you could touch on that a little bit.
1: Yeah. And I would say that was actually something if I were to redo it, I would I would have added those topics even sooner. Um, I didn't kind of obviously when you hop on a path, hindsight is 2020. 20, you don't realize what you're doing until later. But um when I jumped onto intuitive eating, I still didn't have a lot of emotional capacity. I didn't really process my emotions, I didn't feel my emotions. Um, you know, classic culture teaches you to just go, 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 do, 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 compete, be good, um, be the best. Uh, and I was, I was always working under that paradigm. So I didn't even know how I felt about a lot of things. And I would say I had next to no spiritual foundation. Um, I, and spirituality, not being religion, I wasn't religious, but I also didn't have any spiritual foundation. So there was nothing that sort of, um, helped me understand the world, helped me understand my place in the world. Um, and without those tools, um, food was one of the ways that I kind of tried to feel in control that it is something that was comforting. Um, and I, 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 didn't have any other tools in place um, when I jumped into intuitive eating, that may have made it a little bit of a softer transition. Um, and and the only reason it was a little harsh was because I went straight from dieting into non-dieting, and it was like a hundred and eighty degree spin. Um, and I feel like it might have been a little bit of a gentler transition if I kind of had that big picture of what else I was lacking, if that makes sense.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. And so how did you end up assessing that there was gaps that needed to be filled there?
1: Yeah. And again, that was hindsight being 2020. But at the same time that I was pursuing intuitive eating, I was pursuing a spiritual path. Um, and it was funny because I kept thinking what weird things I'm studying right now. I'm doing all this in interesting stuff with intuitive eating and emotional eating and all sorts of food work, fat liberation, um, fat activism, understanding how weight and um, has showed up in our culture and our history. Um, And at the same time I was pursuing sort of this more esoteric spiritual world of awareness and consciousness Um, and at the end of the day, they actually came together. I mean, it was, it was the same process, um, to, to go into intuitive eating is to go into your inner wisdom. And that's what spirituality is all about. It's about listening to ourselves and having awareness of what is inside of us, as opposed to reading a book and following a plan and giving all of your power to something outside of you. Spirituality is about taking that back. Um and so is intuitive eating. It's take back your power from all of these places and other areas that are telling you how to be and what to do, um, what to think and what to look like.
0: Mm. So. so um I just wanna I wanna touch brief- briefly then, because um you said some really good stuff in here and I imagine that some of my listeners are gonna be like, huh, she touched on some stuff. So what sure. were some of the other things that you researched and were looking into personally? that also, like you mentioned fat activism, um, you mentioned a couple other things in there, but like, are there specific keywords or like if somebody wanted to do some research, like what would you suggest they are looking into specifically?
1: Yeah. So one thing I started with at the beginning, you know, again, coming from a dieting mind, I really wanted science to back up any new choice that I made. So Mm -hmm. I became a little obsessed with the science of things. Um, and, and so, I started looking into things like health at every size and reading the books and reading the studies that support a health at every size approach. Mm-hmm. Um things like Linda Bacon, she her book is Health at Every Size. Um I imagine I have not read it, but I imagine like a Christy Harrison's anti-diet book right now would be a perfect place to go because I know she's great with the data and she's great with showing why weight science um, kind of fails from a diet perspective. Um, so I needed to understand all of that. I needed to understand the biology of dieting, the way that depriving ourselves usually leads to some sort of a, um, rebound effect and our bodies want to gain that weight right back. And they tend to gain even more. Um, the idea that our bodies always like to be in a certain range of, of weight, um, so yeah, I went down a, a pretty heavy sciency path in the beginning, just feeling like I had to prove my point, like, oh, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have to prove that it works. Um, and and that actually is, is also a testament to where my mind was at at the time, um, because now I realize that whatever feels good to me is working. <laughs> I don't have to prove it to anyone else. I don't have to have science to back it up. It's how I feel in my body and what makes me feel good. Um, But at the time, that's, that's a direction that I took. And it's helpful. It really is because it helps you unhook some of the diet culture hooks. It helps you understand all the things that we may not be taught, like BMI is not Really, a good health measure at all, and it was never intended to be things like that. I never knew, so every time I was trying to compare myself to one of those insurance charts for my weight, I didn't realize that those were you know not even based on health. it was just something somebody put together for insurance purposes a long, long time ago um and it didn't take into account my body i mean b m i was based on white European men in their twenties. It wasn't based on women, childbearing women. Um, It wasn't based on different colors, different races, different ages, um, different genders. So just seeing all that cognitive dissonance was enough for me to be like, wow, I've been putting all of my energy into this thing that I didn't even understand.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That we could, I'm sure there was... There's so many things in there that we could just spiral the whole conversation <laughs> around that. Yeah, there's, like, there's a so, lot. So there's so much there. There is. Um, so I guess let's um, let's shift gears a little bit and um, like I feel like one of the things we had sort of touched on that we might talk about today was how we release the feeling that we need to lose weight and the fear of gaining weight. And I feel like you there, there's some of the stuff that you just said that sort of speaks to that a little bit. But if someone um, if someone wanted to work on that themselves to make sure that they're coming to intermittent fasting with um, sort of the lifestyle and not the diet culture stuff as baggage, um, what would you recommend that they're researching specifically to work on that feeling like they need to lose weight and they're afraid of gaining weight? What Where would you point them? Yeah, and that's
1: and that's obviously a huge question and and it's a completely understandable question because our culture does put such a focus on weight loss and people talk about it all the time. Um, so the first thing I would do if I was anyone was honestly actually welcome and embrace that feeling because the more we try to push it away or pretend it doesn't exist, Um, the more we were kind of in this tension and resistance. So, okay, you've got a need, you feel like you need to lose weight or you have a fear of gaining weight. Like just be with that first off. And and that's part of this emotional work Um, and just allow it and accept it and see what happens. Sometimes even just sitting with that fear helps it dissipate, Um, Mm. which sounds too good to be true, but it actually is.
0: Um, and and then that's that's spiritual work too, right? Like that, I mean, like I'm, I'm in to deal with some of this COVID-19 stuff. I've, I'm actually for the first time developing a regular meditation practice. And that's, that's part of it is just sitting with the stuff that comes up for me and not trying to change it. But like if, um, what we resist persists is coming to mind. And if you, if you're if you're trying, and I struggle with this sometimes myself, like I've gained some weight during this pandemic and I'm wrestling with the fact that I'm not necessarily happy with that Mm -hmm. while also struggling with knowing that making changes to my diet for the sole purpose of trying to lose that weight is very bought into diet culture. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to just sit with those two things and it's challenging. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Very much so. And, 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 Um, exactly. That's, that's that emotional, spiritual component that I was talking about that I wish I had when I first started intuitive eating. So I could have embraced some of those feelings because I really did try to push that same feeling away for a very long time. The fear of weight gain. And, and once you, once you explore diet culture, people, you start to understand why, you know, it's not a very kind or compassionate thing to fear weight gain, because you start to understand there's nothing wrong with weight itself. That's just something that's been conditioned and ingrained in us. And that's just a perspective we've been given. Um, and so to, to have access to just being able to sit with the discomfort that we have, again, does help it dissipate um, as a first step.
0: Okay. So after they've After they're sort of at a place where they're sitting with that and that's, you know, they're regularly not pushing away those feelings, whatever those feelings are, where would you suggest they go as like a next step?
1: Yeah. And that's, that's where we dive in and we explore the need to lose weight as opposed to jumping into losing weight. So mm-hmm. one mistake I think our culture makes is they forget that any behavior that we take is based on thoughts and beliefs that are preceding it. So, um, for example, we'll have a discomfort and we'll think, well, I'm going to go change my weight and that will fix everything. But you're kind of going to the end result. You're going to the behavior and you're thinking, I'm going to change these things and I'm going to change my body and it's going to make how I think and how I feel better. But that's actually backwards. We need to go to the thoughts and the feelings and explore what those are and the beliefs. Um, And that's really rich territory. There's a lot in there. And you'll find that you have all these beliefs you might not have even been aware of. And, and you want to play with those. Um, you want to find out, are those beliefs I really want to have? Um, are those thoughts I want to have? Are these empowering thoughts or are these limiting thoughts? Mm-hmm. Did they make me feel expansive and energetic or do they make me feel kind of depressed and tired? Um, and you get to explore all that. And that is naturally going to lead to the behaviors that are going to be most supportive for you overall and that's what it means to to really get in touch with your inner wisdom and listen to your own body as opposed to reading a book and changing your behavior or setting a goal that's all very external and it's very end game it's it's like the last step in the process mm-hmm. and it's not very it it's not very natural or intuitive
0: yeah they um like i'm thinking about what led me to start my journey to intuitive eating. And like I had, you know, I had been on a diet and I had lost all this weight and I had been pursuing the end goal. Like that was, you know, the destination. And then I got to the destination where I was, you know, on maintenance and I still was miserable.
1: Right. Right. And, exactly. And
0: And that's what ultimately led me to this. Okay. Like there's something else that I'm not addressing here that led to the emotional work that's you know, I mean, it's ongoing, like it's never going to go away at this point. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Exactly. And that, that's actually an empowering and an expansive thing. It doesn't have to be work or drudgery. Sometimes it is hard and sometimes it's uncomfortable, but again, life is always changing and evolving. And the more we kind of practice how to flow with that, the easier and more fluid it becomes so that for example, when COVID hit, um, it didn't knock me totally off course because I had had a regular meditation practice. I had had a, a practice of sitting with my discomfort, of going within, of, um, really, it's called cultivating like your own sense of safety from within because there's a lot of times we're going to be in situations which are not very safe from without. Um, and that's what meditation and mindfulness is all about. It's, it's this idea of going within. To cultivate our own sense of safety. Um, and that, you know, is a practice that is really helpful alongside the intuitive eating. Um, because really at the, underneath all of our food behaviors, our thoughts, feelings, and beliefs that we really need to look at.
0: Mm-hmm. I just want to touch on this here because everything you said is, um, Amazing. And I've mentioned in a few of the past episodes. Um, so if if you as a listener have listened to the past few episodes, I've mentioned a few times that the Headspace app is offering free COVID-19 resources. And so in the context of our talk here, I just want to say I will put the link to that again in the show notes. So if you are interested in meditation, specifically to help with some of this stuff. There are specific COVID-19 resources that you check the show notes for that. Um, Okay. So if we assume that someone is doing that work and they're sitting with their feelings, um, then how, where, where is the line between pursuing something as like a lifestyle or a way of life versus the diet stuff? Like what are the things that you look for, you listen for, when somebody is having a conversation with you about whether it's intermittent fasting or something else, like so much of this is not specific to IF.
1: Yeah, sure. And so I, ultimately, it's funny, because when you did reach out to me, you mentioned you were doing intuitive eating and intermittent fasting. And I told you that the intermittent fasting was like a red flag to me. Um, And so there are certain behaviors that have been linked to sort of diet culture. And so they can be red flags. But ultimately, diet culture is really more. Uh, it's it's more a grouping of thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. So it's not just what we're doing, but it's also what we think and what we believe. So if we sit around thinking, I must look a certain way, I must weigh a certain amount, um, I must eat a certain way. Or, I'm not going to be happy, healthy, or successful. That is a belief of diet culture that, you know, if we think that way and we believe that way, it's going to, if that leads to our action of intermittent fasting or whatever else it is we're going to do, then you're kind of operating out of diet culture. You're operating from this fear based place, um, a place of shoulds and have tos. And it's not very open and expansive. Um, and it's, that's the limiting nature of it. It's pretty rigid. There's rules to follow. And that's, so it's, it's not the behavior itself that's going to tip me off entirely, which is actually why I reached back out to you and said, well, if we're going to do this, let's have a conversation. Cause I'd love to hear what's behind your motivation for intermittent fasting. Cause again, it's not any one behavior necessarily, but it's just sort of this, um, all the thoughts, feelings, beliefs that go along with that behavior uh, that creates more of a diet culture, um, way of being, if that makes sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it does. And, um, I know in our last conversation, um, I had sort of mentioned to you what my mission is right now. And I talked about wanting to empower women who want the health benefits of IF. And you called me out on (laughs) the fact that. there, there's some assumptions there. So can you just touch on that? Because I mean, I've been thinking about that constantly and thinking about how I might need to revamp my mission because it it didn't 100% sit right with me, but at the same point, it's pointing in the right direction. So I guess touch on where pursuing IF for the health benefits, like what, what about that sort of triggered you for lack sure. of a better word.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so what I found is I've been doing this work for, you know, a long time now, is um people want to approach behaviors that lead to weight loss or or certain behaviors like intermittent fasting, they want to do it for weight loss or for health benefits. It's pretty much either or. Like people do keto for weight loss or health benefits. Paleo, same thing. All the different diet plans. Um, and some people kind of get to this place where they're like, okay, I understand that weight loss isn't important, but I really need to be healthy. Um, and there's a term that people talk about called healthism, which basically is when you are assuming that the behaviors that you're taking are going to lead to these outcomes and they may or may not. And again, that puts you in sort of a limited fear-based place because if you believe that's the only way you can have health you're not going to see any other options for health and in reality there's a wide spectrum of things that people can do for their health Um, and there are so many that are way more important than some of the things that we do with food and movement now i'm not saying those things are not important but there's so many times that people are just completely stressed to the max and they're still trying to focus on their food and movement in a place that's just adding more stress. Um, Mm -hmm. People who aren't getting adequate sleep, people who don't love their jobs, they're not in good relationships, um, they don't have access to great medical care or quality food or, I mean, there's a whole social determinants of health that are bigger, they're systemic and out of our control completely. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I find it almost a little naive for people to think that, just changing their food is necessarily going to change their health. If they haven't kind of looked at health on a, on a bigger s- spectrum. Um, mm. and again, it's kind of the way we get pointed to as if, you know, once you change your food, you're going to change your health and everything's going to be perfect. It's, it's another way of buying into this idea that, um, you know, if I change this behavior my world is going to be fine, even though I have a spouse I don't like, a job I don't like, and I'm completely under stress. It's It can be a bit of a distraction or a coping mechanism in some ways. Um, and to me, that's why it's important to sort of look at the whole picture, not just at these behaviors, if that mm-hmm. makes sense.
0: Yeah. And I'm thinking, um, like when I introduced you, I mentioned that you are also a life coach. Yeah. And as I'm hearing you describe this, this that seems to be for me, like I can see where having the life coach background helps you address all of those other things. A hundred percent. When you're working with clients. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious like you mentioned, like you mentioned IF, keto, paleo, and, you know, pursuing the health benefits and the healthism. Like, can you give me an example of, one of the health benefits that you've seen people talk about and some of the ways they would address that that weren't related to food, maybe something more tangible, I'm wondering. like Absolutely. You mentioned sleep and stress, but can we dig into that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So for for one example, diabetes gets a lot of buzz. People talk about diabetes all the time. And, um, and you'll hear people say, well, I have to watch what I eat because I, there's a family history of diabetes, or, um, I need to cut down on my sugar because, um, either I have quote unquote pre-diabetes, which is not really a thing, or I'm worried that I will get diabetes. And then they stress out about the sugar and they make it all about the sugar when again, studies are starting to show that it's stress that's way more prevalent in a diabetes background. Um, And there's other things that might be involved in there um, like genetic components that are beyond your control. So um, seeing someone just hone in on this one thing, again, without looking at the big picture, like if somebody came to me and they were concerned with that, I would say, well, let's make sure we're, we're touching on our spirituality and we're touching on our emotional life um, and looking at your thoughts and your beliefs um, rather than only going to control your sugar um, and assuming that's the problem.
0: Okay. And then how do you get to a place where you've determined that making a change with food is appropriate?
1: Yeah. And that's, that's where kind of the, there's another thing we were talking about and that's where sort of these experience experiments come in. Um, I think of it as, you know, if you kind of have this guiding feeling that, you know, well, I really do think I eat a lot of sugar and, or anything that doesn't feel good to you in some way. And you're kind of aware that some of it could be physical and some of it could be psychological because, sometimes we just are judging what we're eating so badly that it makes us physically feel sick, even when the food itself isn't doing anything to our bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so part of it is just having that awareness. Like, is this really about the food or is this about the thoughts that I'm having about the food? Um, and, and then it's just experimenting with foods. So, you know, and this is like pretty far down the line. Um, of the work that I do with people, because we find in the very beginning that it really isn't about the food. We're, we're not concerned with the food. We want to look at all these other pieces, but then we might say, yeah, we'll try, you know, adding this food to your, to your diet for, for a while and see if, it helps you feel better. I never suggest that people take things out. Um, cause again, that generally leads to this restrictive feeling that's going to have a backlash. Um, but I, I asked them to explore and to brainstorm what else do they think, um, they might add or experiment with, um, and, you know, go ahead and try it and see how it makes you feel but but again assuming you've done the work to know what things feel like in your body um that was another actually huge piece that i was missing when i started intuitive eating i was so disconnected from my actual body um and i'll try not to go off on a too big a tangent right now but this is a really important piece I was all in my head, and so even when I was eating, I didn't know how things were landing in my body. I didn't know what satisfaction was. I wasn't really attuned to hunger fullness, um, and that that is a is really hard to make decisions about what you're doing if you're not in touch with that. So yeah,
0: I, I, that doesn't feel like a tangent at all. Okay. Actually, I'm curious in exploring that a little bit because, like, I know. That that was a struggle for me when I started. And I've heard that as something that my listeners and people in my Facebook group have also touched on. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, if somebody says, well, I don't know how to, I don't know what hunger and fullness feels like, or I don't know if I'm satisfied, like, how do, how does someone start that work and head down that path.
1: Yeah. And so this is, you might hear the words embodiment a lot when it comes to this, it's about getting back in the body. Um, and it's, it's really, really subtle work. Um, you might also hear somatics as a word for this, being a somatic practitioner. It's all about, um, slowing down. It's about, um, having stillness so that you can understand what's happening in your body. And it's not a place we like to go very often Mm -hmm. again, because we're conditioned to be go, go, go. It's, it's very hard for people to either give themselves permission or take the time to just stop moving long enough to feel something in their bodies. Um, and that can be a, a challenge. Not to mention, there's a lot of people in our culture and our world who have suffered from different traumas, and it's very difficult for them to want to get into their bodies. It doesn't feel like a safe place. So you really want to start small. Um, and you really want to take baby steps. You want to get support in whatever way you might need. Um, and you know, people talk about breathing a lot. It really does come down to breath. It comes down to um, feeling the sensations in your body. There's a term called interoceptive awareness, which is you know, can you feel your heartbeat? What does it feel like inside your body? Um, and it takes practice. So it might be that you sit and you kind of try to feel like what your big toe feels like. Um, and again, it sounds subtle. It sounds small. And and we're so apt to just brush by that and blow it off. But when you actually finally do that work, that's when you start to notice your hunger and fullness on such a level that you can't possibly ignore it as much as you, you might've been able to before. You don't miss the signals once you, once you get tuned into them. Um, But again, it it takes practice and everyone's going to be on a spectrum and not everyone's going to, necessarily feel it the same way and and this whole process really requires a ton of self-compassion as well um and not feeling like you have to get somewhere and not beating yourself up um again just allowing the exploration to unfold to see how things feel and maybe one day you don't feel much and maybe another day you do um it's all going to sort of unfold in its own time frame um so I, I feel like a lot of people want to, you know, again, diet culture teaches us to get somewhere quick. Um, but the practice that I take people through is not about getting somewhere quick. It's really about, um, introducing these tools and these patterns and these habits that are going to last you a lifetime. Um, and you're going to be practicing them for a lifetime.
0: Mm-hmm. hmm The, um, I'm curious to, like when somebody, so we talked a little bit about the hunger and fullness piece of it, like what, what thoughts or questions would someone be looking at if they were specifically dealing with the satisfaction aspect of things, right? Like, cause I feel like diet culture has us, you know, tells us that we should be eating certain things, not eating certain things. Like how does someone, are there specific things they can be looking for? to know if they're finding something to be satisfying. I don't know if that's even a question that can be answered, but
1: <laughs> Yeah. And and what what immediately came to mind is how satisfying is the, the rest of your life? And and how in tune are you to the satisfaction in the rest of your life? Because often when we're not in tune with it with our food, it's because we're not in tune with it in general. And again, it comes from that disconnect um, from head to body and to heart, like connecting to our heart is imperative. It's absolutely essential. And, um, when we're disconnected, we don't know what things satisfy us. Um, and again, in our culture, we're not taught to explore that we're taught to, again, follow the steps, do the plan. Um, you know, do everything you're expected to do. Nobody says, Hey, I really want you to just sit around today and think about what you like, <laughs> what you like to do, what you like to read, listen to, um, what you like to eat. Um, I can't tell you how many people c- don't even know how to answer those questions because I didn't know how to answer the questions. Because again, I'd been checking everything off the list, I was doing everything I was supposed to do. Um, in, in terms of what was expected of me from my parents and my co- community. And to sit there and say, what do I like was like profound. Um, mm-hmm. And it can take a while. So I started to look at it like there's a peer one imports commercial a while back that was find what speaks to you was kind of their tagline. Mm-hmm. And I started to kind of try to view everything like that, like mm-hmm. uh, kind of like the experiments I was talking about. Oh, I'm going to try this and see if, you know, see how I like it. And if I, maybe I'll try it a few times and if it doesn't keep continue to resonate or fire me up, then I'll try something else and kind of not be afraid to keep trying things to see what does bring that feeling of satisfaction both in life and in food. So Mm -hmm. I I do feel like as we kind of start to unnumb ourselves it becomes more clear what does satisfy us um, mm-hmm. food-wise.
0: Yeah, there was um, a a couple things came up for me that um, I wanted to just sort of mention based on my own experience um, and maybe get your thoughts if you have any on them. But I feel like um, one of the things that has held me back personally professionally and all in all ways right is this feeling like i'm going to make a decision and it's it's forever mm. and it's been liberating for me to recognize that i can make a decision today based on the information that's available and then in most cases i will be able to change my mind mm-hmm. and you know course correct if i if i've headed down a path and it's this fear of you know needing to make the right decision mm-hmm. that Often will paralyze me from making any decision. Um, yeah, and i'm I'm curious, do you feel like that, like in your work with clients, does that sort of fear of decision making and it needing to be the right decision? How does that come up in your work?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And so a couple of the key lessons there are, like you said, we are always doing the best we can with the information we have available. and that's always true. And we're always going to have a completely limited spectrum of what is available because the world is huge. There's so much available. Um, So we certainly can't beat ourselves up for not being able to take in all of the data and stimulus that is coming to us at any given time. And that's why, again, the compassion for knowing we're always doing the best we can in any given moment is step one. And step two is also knowing no decision is right or wrong. There is no right or wrong because everything is going to teach us something. Everything is an opportunity. Even if you completely fall flat on your face with something that you try, you're going to learn something from that. And that's going to pivot you and give you a different direction. And you're going to know where you don't want to go, which is as important as knowing where you do want to go. So again, our culture has this big thing about failure which is ingrained and conditioned in all of us. Um, But the truth is, you know, all the people who have had great success out there have failed a million times. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure you've heard the motivational speeches, which say it's not, you know, not falling down. That's a problem. It's not getting back up. That's the problem. So Mm -hmm. just kind of keeping in mind that everything is an opportunity and everything is giving us important information kind Mm -hmm. of helps take some of that pressure off when you go to make a decision.
0: Yeah. And I know um, for myself, like if I'm wrestling with a particular decision, I, and I don't like, I'm aware of the fact that there's not a right answer one of the things that I'll do is like, try on a particular choice. Exactly. Like I'll give, I'll give the example of um, like, I got my teaching credentials and I had been offered a job um, to work at my current employer and I had accepted the job and I got a phone call to interview someplace else Mm -hmm. after Mm -hmm. I had already accepted the job. And I tried on like, okay, how am I going to feel if I let's say I take this interview and I get offered a job, how, how am I gonna feel if I walk away from the job that I already have? And I tried that on and it felt unsettling. Mm-hmm. And so even, even though I was missing out on an opportunity to work somewhere else, I knew that I wouldn't feel right if I abandoned the job I had already accepted. I would be missing out on even more. And so a lot of times it just comes down to like, okay, I've made, imagine that I've made this decision Professional food related or whatever. Am I going to be more uncomfortable if I choose something else? I I don't know. I feel like I sort of started spiraling out of control. Did anything come up? Yeah, for yeah. you as you heard that.
1: I mean, what you were doing is you were listening to your gut. You're listening to your body, which was having a reaction to um, walking away from a job you had just accepted, and that's valuable information, and that's information that we've we're not used to listening to, but it's as important, if not more important than just what the story is in our mind.
0: How has that sort of thought process or how does that come up in, in the work that you do around food, body, all that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah. And so that's kind of what that daily practice is. It's, it's, I mentioned coming into your heart and for a head thinker um, like myself, it can be very challenging to let go of what the mind thinks it knows Um, and really to tap into that heart space, um, to let it guide you with sort of those gut reactions. Um, and, and the more embodied feeling of what's right for you or what's not right for you. Um, and I think that's where sort of the, the subtle practice is for, for a lot of people, but you're not going to get there. If you keep thinking that, you know, the right or wrong, the black or white decision about your food is the most imperative thing. And so it's a matter of letting go of that black and white thinking and being willing to trust that. Um, your body also has something that it can share.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to touch on a couple of things. Um, and I, I wrote it down because I didn't want to lose track of it because I can totally spiral off. No um, if there. if someone, so back on the topic of experiments for a second, if someone were at a place where they decided they want to try an experiment, mm-hmm. um, how how long would you suggest they need to try on an experiment? When when should they persist through it versus backing out of it? Any guidance around that that you could share?
1: And, and again, I would say as much as you can, listen to your body. Um, and there is no right or wrong answer in there. Um, I have, like I've experienced people who decided to do a water challenge, for example, and they were gonna drink a certain amount of water every day for like a month and they were miserable and they hated it and they kept doing it. And, and, you know, you get to choose, is that how you want to be living during that time period or not? Um, Again, no right answer, no right or wrong answer. So I base my guide off of what is easy and fluid and bringing me joy. Um, And if it just feels like force and going uphill, I kind of try to stop myself and be like, well, what do I think this is going to bring me in the first place? Um, and are there other ways I can get what that is um, without doing this? That's not making me very happy. Um, so again, it's, it's going to that layer underneath the behavior to see what's driving it and how do I feel about it um, instead of just being tied to that behavior.
0: Yeah, actually, something that came up for me as I was listening to you just now is um, I've been reflecting on the, um, you know, a lot of apps or habits or whatever, like, are based on this notion of streaks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, like, how many days in a row can you build up? And then, you know, the weight that we attach to that streak, and God forbid you break a streak. Mm -hmm. And, like, there's been habits that I've persisted with long past it became long past the point at which it was joyful like i persisted too long to the to the extent that it was drudgery right um and wasn't bringing me joy all in the all for the purpose of having a streak
1: <laughs> right and because you felt like somehow you felt like that was going to bring you something
0: mm, in, in mm-hmm. some way
1: um i'm not sure what that was but
0: yeah there's yeah. been a few things yeah <laughs> Um I I really like the questions that you pointed to there like what like if I'm pursuing something what is it that I think I'm going to get from that thing and then what are the other ways that I can potentially get that same that same thing those are some really good questions Right and if
1: there were no shoulds or have to's or consequences would you still do this thing
0: Mhm yeah So if somebody like what if somebody um let's see, how do I want to phrase this? Um, and in our initial notes, we talked about like, how do we know if something is working for us if we're not dieting? And I'm, I'm wondering if there's anything that we can expand on there or if we've kind of touched on it indirectly already.
1: Well, again, the most important thing in that statement is how do you define working? What does what mm-hmm. working mean to you? Does working yeah. mean you feel ease and joyful and you know um, at peace? Or does working mean weight loss or does working mean, um, you know, people around you are giving you feedback that makes you feel good? Like what is working? So we all have to define our own um, success. Like what does success mean to us? Um, and, and how is it, what do I have to do to achieve that? Um, and is that something I'm willing to do?
0: So you, 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 um, I wrote down the word peace Mm -hmm. because you mentioned that, um, wanting ease and peace. And I, I think about there's this, there feels like a tough line between the peace of doing something when the work to do the thing is probably going to bring up a lot of discomfort and not be peaceful, right? Like persisting through that discomfort is not does not necessarily feel peaceful mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so how how do you recognize when the the conflict is part of the inner work that's needed. Does that make sense? Yeah,
1: yeah. And so the conflict is always part of the inner work because the conflict points us to go look for answers. So anytime you feel, a, I call it stickiness with my clients a lot. Every time you feel like a stickiness, it's like, oh, there's something here. Let's go see what that is because that is our guidance. Our guidance, so we are always gonna come in and out of, peace and joy and, and discomfort. Like we're not saying that, you know, doing these, this work is going to take all discomfort away. That's never going to happen, especially in, you know, living in a world that we live in. Um, so the point is more, um, when I'm in those moments of discomfort, what do I do and how do I treat myself, um, in order to maybe shift out of it a little sooner than I might've otherwise. So it's, it's a little bit of, how soon can I recover from the discomfort and get back to the peace, but without making it all about having to get to the peace? It's also about knowing you're also OK when you're in discomfort. Um, and that's part of that welcoming and embracing whatever is present for you. Um, because, again, sometimes it'll be peace and sometimes it won't be. So we don't want to force anything, but we want to gently explore it. Like, okay, I'm in this discomfort. Let me first feel it, welcome it, and accept it. And then let me see what what do I think this might be about? What's coming up for me? And the interesting thing is sort of as soon as you start adding on those self-compassion elements, you're always creating just as little bit of space that you can expand into. So even though it might be uncomfortable sometimes, it's, it's almost like it's always getting a little better, if that makes sense, um, because, you know, it's like you you contract a little bit, but then you expand and then you contract a little bit and then you expand. And that's that's kind of how life flows. Um, and, and each time, though, it's kind of elevating you a little bit more and more and more so that, um, you're never quite back to where you were and you're never quite the person that you started as, Mm. um, and, and each time you kind of come around to the same issues, you're always kind of looking at it from a different perspective. So Mm -hmm. even though discomfort doesn't necessarily go away with the snap of fingers, um, as soon as you kind of get on the path, you're just always adding a little more ease as you go through the work.
0: Mm-hmm. You've you've brought up compassion and self compassion a few times um, in our conversation, and um, I feel like that's not necessarily something that many of us are equipped. Mm-hmm. With that mm-hmm. skill. Can you touch on that a little bit? Like if somebody is listening to this and saying, wow, like I I really need to figure out how to be more compassionate towards myself, what how do you suggest they approach that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And if I was going to add a tool to the beginning of my intuitive eating journey, I would add, I would add that as well. And I think I might even make that like one of the first most important things. Cause when we're constantly beating ourselves up, again um, that's pressure. That's tension. That's t- draining our energy. Self-compassion helps just hold you so that no matter what you're going through, uh, you're just not adding salt to the wound, so to speak. You're not making things worse by beating yourself up because things aren't exactly where you want them to be. So self-compassion is that element of just sort of having your own back, being your own friend. Um, And there's, there's lots of ways to approach it. One great resource is Tristan Neff has written um, a book on self-compassion and she has a website and she has a ton of great tools. Um, and then, you know, what I try to instill in my clients is just, you know, if that concept of if you were talking to one of your best friends, what would you say to them if they were having this problem? And inevitably, everyone is like, oh, my gosh, I would just hug her and love her and tell her it's going to be okay. And she's doing a great job. And it's like, we need to do that for ourselves, like mm-hmm. all day, every day. Um, because they've, they've shown in some of these self-compassion studies that people people think if they're not hard on themselves, they're never going to grow. But it's actually the opposite. The more we have compassion for ourselves, the more we're able to come back from failure. Like if you're beating yourself up about failing, you're not going to get up and do it again. But if you tell yourself, oh, it's okay, like you totally messed that up, but it's okay you're going to get up and do it again. So yeah, self-compassion really leads to resilience.
0: Yeah. And I feel like, um, you know, just based on what you touched on, if you're, if you beat yourself up every time you, you know, fail in quotes, there's, there's also opportunities that you're never going to have. Exactly. In, in personal, professional, you name it, like you have to like, um, there's like a risk reward kind of thing. Like if you're afraid to take the risk because you're afraid of failing, there's all sorts of rewards that you could never get. Exactly.
1: Yep. You're going to just shut the door if you have judgment about your failure.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I want to I wanna be mindful of the time and I want to start to wrap up. Um, I know we've touched on a lot of different stuff and there's there's nothing specifically that is like a gap that I feel like needs to be filled from a question that I might have. Is there anything that you wish we would have touched on or that you want to elaborate a little bit more? Like, yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Not off off the top of my head. I think we did touch on a lot of richness here. Um, I I would just say, I guess you can't do this wrong. Uh, I mean, that is sort of what we say in intuitive eating all the time. Everyone's path is going to look different. Do not compare yours to anyone else's. Um, this is all about you and it's not selfish to explore you. It's actually, um, beneficial to everyone else on the planet because the more in aligned and in tune you are with yourself, the more harmonious life becomes for everyone. So mm-hmm. this is imperative work, especially at a time like this when the world is going crazy that we, you know, ground into what is true for us. Um, because that's, that's what's going to guide us all. So.
0: Hmm. And if somebody wanted to, um, you know, if somebody resonated with you and your work today, where would be the best place for them to learn more about you and and what you're doing in the world? Like your website, your like, where are you most present that someone could yeah. learn more about you?
1: Great. Yeah. So I have a website, ElizabethHallCoaching.com, and I am on Facebook. I believe you can find it if you search up Elizabeth Hall Coaching as well. Um, I'm on Instagram at Elizabeth Hall Coaching or eHall Coaching. Um, and yeah, I, I, you know, I talk to people all the time about this stuff. So, um, I have free 30 minute consults if people just want to talk about their path and, and where they want to go next with the work. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's transformative and it's not for the, um, weak of heart but it it will strengthen that heart so that it will guide you into the future so that's what i love about it it's very powerful work
0: yeah well i've i've enjoyed our conversation i think we there's just some real gems in here and i'm hopeful that um my listeners will will um take some of those insights and uh you know, grow in whatever path they're they're currently on. So thank you so much for your time.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for the questions. This was great. It was fun.
0: Thanks again for listening to the Intuitively Intermittent podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you may be wondering what happens next. Whenever you are ready, here are three additional ways I can support you. First, head over to the Intuitively Intermittent Facebook group. It's made up of people just like you and is a safe space in which to find support and ask questions. Second, the group coaching program based upon my freedom for life framework starts up several times a year. The best place to stay informed about that will be in the Facebook group as well. Please share your interest and your email address in the entry questions for the group. Lastly, I do work with a limited number of one-on-one coaching clients. If you resonate with me and my message and want to see if working together is a good fit, please send an email to hello at thiswellseasonedlife.com. And I'll reach out to you to set up a time to talk. Enjoy the rest of your day. And remember, your value as a person cannot be measured in inches and pounds.